everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have my friends Gary and Susan Harper with Sharper Solutions. And they flew in from Crown Point, Indiana to talk about how they went from consulting Fortune 500 companies to consulting the top investors in the country while building an empire along the way. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. A question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. Just take consistent action and you will become one. When you hear a nugget, please type it in the comment section after the show, identify your, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on just that for the next seven days. If you get value today, please tag it from below, share this episode right now, that way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Gary and Susan to answer. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, so first question is, what got you into real estate? What got us into real estate? So the job of being in the world, right, like every day, and uh, chasing after that that elusive freedom, right, and wanting to get away from a job. My brother-in-law actually in '97, '95, '97 uh, got me started in real estate, and uh, he was reading. I don't know if people are going to know this name, but uh, Carlton Sheets. Um, so some people on the show. Yeah. So we had Carlton <laughs> Sheets cassette tapes. That's what we had, right? That's when we first started in real estate. So that's where it kind of started for me. Is just. Working with my brother-in-law, he actually helped me. Help. I was a laborer for him for a long time. And then probably by 2004, I really wanted to take a deeper dive into it. And so that's what got me going is just wanting to get out of that job, wanting to, to create some freedom for Susan and I. Mm-hmm. And um, and all, honestly, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Carlton Sheets, like the OG years of this and the, the, the 90s inspired yeah. me. So. so you started reading it in 97. Yeah. But you were still working the job until 2004? No, I worked a job till 2010, 2011 in that oh. time frame. But I got into real estate really full time or tried to be an active investor by 2004. Okay. Um, I was passively working with my brother-in-law, you know, on the side. Wayne? Yeah, Wayne, yeah. And he was rehabbing houses and getting rentals and, you know, chasing that rich dad, poor dad mindset of mm-hmm. getting a bunch of rentals. And uh, so we did that, and I just helped him clean them out and get them ready and things like that to make some like, supplemental income. And by 2004, I'm like, why aren't I doing this? Mm-hmm. I need to start building my own, right? Right. And it didn't do it quite right in 2004, but learned a lot of life lessons along the journey, for sure. And then you guys were married all yeah. prior to this. Yeah, we got married so in 97. So involved, whether you liked it or not, you were. Pretty much, yeah. So I was a school teacher for 17 years. Okay. And so my day ended at three o'clock every day. So I was the fun school teacher. I didn't have homework or you know tests or anything like that. So I didn't have really an after school job. So that became my job. We got into property management right away. I did all the collections for property management. Property management. Yeah. The funnest part in real estate. You know, yeah. it damage. was kind of fun for me. I didn't mind it. And really? then, yeah. Oh man, that sounds like a nightmare. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> She would do our collection. She the would. Collections. Yeah, I went knocked on the doors at the yeah. time, and and um, and we did, then we opened it up and expanded with me and my brother-in-law. We had a company called Calumet North Properties, and uh, we were managing a couple hundred doors at the time. And, and then I just started burning out trying to do that and do my job full time in Chicago. And I, being honest with you, I I, did, I started to take a step back from real estate because I had one executive of the year like eight out of ten years, and so my career was really taken off in, in corporate America. And so I was putting less effort in real estate and more effort in growing that career. Was it the accolades or yeah. was it the money? You know, I just um, probably both. I mean, by the 2010, I was pretty ego driven. 
Like yeah. I was, I was very egotistical. I actually, um, just being transparent. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I, I became a, a, you know, a, a leader in a Fortune 500 company by the time I was 22 years old. Oh, so like yeah. by that time, I was like, you know, I, 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 I needed to be humbled. Let me tell you. I hadn't been humbled yet. And, yeah. And life started humbling me. I ate a lot of humble pie from 2006, about 2011. So. Okay. What was that? So, I mean, I, I bought wrong. I bought too deep in real estate um, in, in regards to the, uh, the, you know, loan to value. And so when the market crashed, um, a lot of these properties, um, we you know, we, we started struggling with them. We started struggling collecting rents. We started struggling. Um, we also had re- reassessed on taxes and where we lived in Northwest Indiana. And so they were two years in arrear on collecting taxes. When they reassessed, it dropped our escrows, like plummeted. Or we didn't have enough money to cover. Oh, because uh, you guys bought it too deep. The escrow well, was lower. Well, no, because well, two right things. We bought too deep, and then on top of that, the city or the county didn't accrue enough money for escrow because mm-hmm. they were so far in the rear. So when they reassessed, they were like, well, "We've been under accruing." And so they went ahead and went back, right? Yeah. And, and they're, they're like, like kind of like a clawback. So now we yeah. got to charge you more, right? And you got to escrow more to make up the shortage and for future. Yeah. So it was ridiculous. It like tripled my mortgage payments yeah. on all my stuff, on all, all the stuff I had loans on. Can you elaborate on buying too deep? Yeah. So when when the market dropped, you know, and the, the property values dropped, I mean, they dropped so low in my area that I dropped, we dropped in some places 50% of ARV. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at sitting at, sitting at 65 to 85%. And the ones I was higher on, like I couldn't get out of the house, yeah. I was stuck, and so we bought too deep. And now this this so property you mean is my had problem. Too many properties you bought too deep. Yeah, well, I mean, any one of them would have been a problem, right? Because right. I bought them too deep, I couldn't get rid of them. And then when you compound that with how many we had, now well, we're in trouble. I guess I just want to clarify because I yeah. think like you bought them too high. Or? We paid too much. Paid yeah. too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I paid too much. You didn't so, buy them deep got it that's, oh that's yeah so i i think i think it a little different like i'm i'm getting too close to arv right yeah. <laughs> when yeah. i'm paying too much so that was my mindset so yeah so i was just i i gotten you know paid way too much for the properties bought wrong basically mm-hmm. and when they dropped in value i was stuck yeah a lot of people got stuck in that situation yeah. uh so that was 2007 2008 so it was about that time too. I carried it. So we had a lot of money in savings. I wouldn't met with the bank. A lot of people were just like keeping the rents and not paying their banks or lenders. I wouldn't do that. I refused to do it. Mm-hmm. So I lady's name was Monique. I met with her every week. I gave her every dime I had. Like and we even gave her all our savings up to that point. Because my name meant a lot to me. Right. And so and then I still had a job in corporate America. So it wasn't my only stream of income either. Right? Right. So I had that luxury of being able to fall back on my job. So you're doing all this. And you're still working your other job, which you're doing really well at. Yeah. Yeah. So you're working hard. You're paying a lot of money. You're making a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and you're spend a lot on and mortgages. then you're, and you put it right back <laughs> right back into in those mortgages. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, what am I doing? Like this was supposed to be my freedom plan. It's taking every extra dollar I have now yeah. to keep it going. And then when the taxes reassessed and it put us even farther, the mortgages were higher. Um, it was just a, it was like the perfect storm. It was insane what happened. So so when was that exactly? So. We kept it going for about three years, so about 2010, mm-hmm. 2010, yeah. And by that time, even the lady that, at the bank, she was just like, you you need to file bankruptcy. <laughs> so she's like, I'm like, well, I don't really want to do that, but let's let's figure out another way around this. So we figured out a way. Um, she ended up being very kind to us, and we, we, we worked really hard with her to try to try to keep it going. But unfortunately, by 2010, I ended up filing bankruptcy. I ended yeah. up losing it all that year. Um, and it wasn't just that year I lost financially. 
I, I lost health that year. I got Lyme's disease, almost passed away, and um, and went back to like a five year old mental state for six months. Do you think the stress you received or you know endured from between working a crazy because you weren't working 20, 30 hours a week, you were no. working crazy hours on the road. Yeah. Plus another job. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that contributed to the health situation? Yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, I think I think obviously it lowers your immune system when you have that much stress, right, on your body. And uh, so being an executive, I had over um, 50 mid-level management that reported to me. Um, I had two of our largest accounts going out to RFP that year, request for pricing. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at competitors of coaching. And so, you know, there was all that, the stress of corporate America, the stress of like, I got to be able to get out of this hole, all that just kind of came together. And then it was kind of the perfect storm. I remember that year I turned to Susan, I said two things. I was, I was a lot heavier. And I said, I want to lose weight. My goals this year, New Year's resolutions, lose weight and increase my faith with God. That's the two things I wanted to do. And well, it was an opportunity to increase your faith. In both, in both areas. <laughs> I dropped to like 130 pounds with the disease yeah. and, you know, my faith really got increased that year in wow. a really big way. But humble pie is uh, is something I ate a lot of that year and yeah. uh, realized, just talking to a guy yesterday and I said, you know, the more success I've had, the more I find myself on my knees. Yeah. Because I know how quickly it can be gone tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing that's always kind of uh, in the back of your mind, something kind of scary to think about. So let's talk about what kind of consulting you did, because I'm interested to hear how much you're consulting in the past is in line with the consulting you do today. So sure. what were you consulting on? Business processes, business process outsourcing. It's called BPO. Yeah. And uh, I work for uh, Canon, Canon Business Process Outsourcing. It's the division of them. Part so of that. Canon, the printer company? or Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess camera. Camera, printers. They had a little bit of everything. They yeah. had multiple divisions, and one of them was uh, Canon Business Process Outsourcing. Which had nothing to do with what they're known for. The cameras are printers. Not really. Okay, interesting. Not, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So as a consultant, yeah. you would travel to other Corporations, Fortune 500 companies, and you would consult them on businesses. Which, like, I mean, are you meeting like C level executives? Are you meeting like yeah. management? Like, who are you talking yeah. to? Yeah, no, like, I mean, Rotary International was Ed Fuda at the time. He was the general secretary, and you know, he's usually executive level people. Fortune 500 companies that we mm-hmm. met with, and uh, and we would go in. It would be particular to a certain niche or a certain part of the business. It wasn't as a whole operating system, like similar to what we do now. But we did the Kaizen events and. Six Sigma process mapping, leaning out their their process, trying to streamline processes for the organization. Yeah, um, uh, we focus directly on like their uh, media and and mail and, and distribution of materials and things like that. Records management, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. We did that. We did it for law firms. We did it for all, all kinds of niches. Okay, so you you're having this success. You're traveling, um, and then you end up upside down in a lot of properties, yeah. and then you get Lyme disease. Yeah. So for people that don't know what it is, you want to elaborate sure. on Lyme diseases? So Lyme disease is a spirochete. It's one of the... It's what? Spirochete. It's a, it's a parasite. Okay. And it invades the body through mainly ticks. Uh, there, I believe there's other ways that it invades the body. But ticks is what it's most known for. And it, it creates a disruption in the body just like any parasite does. Gone unnoticed or uncontrolled, it can create long life effects on the body. And uh, for me, it bit me in a really weird spot. It built me right on my back of my neck, my C5, my C6s, and it went straight into my spine. The injection of the spirochete and the disease went straight in. And so it got in my nervous system, got in my brain. Like, I was in pretty bad shape within weeks instead of months. Like, was it because, like, your brain was swelling? That it- yeah. So I had a form of, I mean, it was like meningitis. My brain had an infection, mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out what it was. 
right? They didn't even know I had it for a long time. Matter of fact, I was losing weight, and everybody's like, you're in great shape, you know? I don't feel good. (laughs) I was having about 26 panic attacks a day because of the nervous system infection that I got, and and it wasn't really good with the job you had. Yeah. Couldn't drive anymore, which was really hard. Um, I I would leave every Monday and fly and come back on Thursdays and had to stop doing that. Like, it was really affecting my job to the point one day I was meeting with three executives. I had to pick up, pick up the senior vice president of the company at the airport and Susan had to drive. Yeah. He was like, what is going on? Like, why is your wife in the car? Right. He's like, you need to take FMLA and figure this out. Right. So I had to, I didn't have a choice. Right. And it just went downhill after that from a health perspective, but it was able to pull out. You know, thankful to God that he allowed us to regain our strength and mental capacity. So I just want to put this in perspective because a lot of people run into adversity, but, you know, I think it's all relative. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, when you were at the bottom and what was your situation, what were, what were the circumstances? Well, I, I, I make it as simple as this. We couldn't afford a 50 cent cup of coffee. Yeah. Right. Like that's where it got to. I remember driving her to Duncan. She has, gets massive headaches and driving her there. And as we go up to the Duncan, I'm like, we're looking for change. I mean, I was making 200000 plus a year, and now I can't afford a cup of coffee. So if that puts it in perspective of where we fell to. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't because I didn't have – I had investments in different things, 401Ks, things like that. But my job didn't want to let me go. They actually held on to my job for over six months or more, right? They wanted me back. And, mm. and I had been very successful for them, made them a lot of money. So that's why they wanted me back. But I couldn't tap into any of that because it was all locked up, mm. you know? So – we were at a point that, uh, you know, we just had to figure it out. I mean, we were cleaning out houses on the side. We were, she was doing three jobs, answering telemarketing calls at night at two o'clock in the morning. Like we were doing everything we had to do to survive. I mean, you go from highly successful. I was, an, you know, I was an executive by the time I was 22 years old to now 35 years old and, you know, and not being able to walk in down, up and down an aisle in a store without her holding my hand. Yeah. A little humbling. Right? For sure. So, I mean, what was your experience in, in all this? Yeah, just watching him go through that was painful but it's like we we're not giving up we don't we don't believe in that word so uh we'll figure it out so yeah you know, like you said we i did three jobs so um, a school teacher still a school teacher then i would you know we knew so many people in real estate so i was like hey what work can we do i've mm-hmm. got two teenage kids we can clean out properties we can paint i i seriously believe i can do anything so it's like hey well, let's do drywall today mm-hmm. i can do that let's go for it yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, we we do some fix and flip properties. We do the labor part of it for for people. We clean them, we paint for them. Um, our son did a lawn mowing business. Started that a couple of years ago. So every summer, I was the driver for the lawn mowing business. And oh, awesome! Like, hey, we're just all gonna pitch in, and you know, we did a cleaning job so the kids kids schooling could get paid for because they were in a private Christian school. And uh, the things that we held important is you know we got to keep and How got to do. Kids? Our daughter was in eighth grade and our son was in six. They were about so they were 14 this. and 12. Um, okay, so then what turned things around? So, I mean, I, I was relentless in trying to figure out what was how to get better. And to the point, people were like, just let it go. Like, I was spending a ton of money. Every extra dime we had at that point in savings. Went I was to a spending, new doctor. Went to a new doctor, and everybody kept saying there was nothing wrong with me. Kept getting this old blue pill telling me I had anxiety, and that was all that was wrong with me. But I knew. I left home at 16 years old, right? I dropped out of school in 10th grade. I got my GED, went to college, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't, I've never had it in me not to push hard. And when I knew that was broke, something was broke. And I was like, this isn't me. And so like, I knew that. And I, I believed in myself enough to know that I had to figure it out. And I owed my family that. So we finally found a doctor that was willing to sit there and listen for four hours. He just listened, went, ran all these tests and all this different stuff. 
And he's like, and we've talked about, I won a trip to Jamaica that year, and I cut my toe open on the coral reef. And he's like, maybe you got a parasite, this. And then they started going down that path of parasites. He's like, were you ever bit by anything? And I was like, well, I was bit by a tick in May. He's like, where? Back of my neck. Hmm. He was like, have you ever been tested for Lyme disease? I don't even know what Lyme disease it, is. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I think we should get tested. It was weird because it came back like with a false positive. And then I had, did a Western blot test because the infection was out of my blood at that point. It had mm. made its way into my organs and with the parasite. So we did this Western blot, and that came back positive, and it was like, okay, now we have an answer. Yeah. And so, and at that point, it may have been, we thought it was too late. He actually told Susan I had about six months left, and mm. he told her to start planning for me not to be here anymore. The infection was in my heart, my brain. It was a little everywhere. And so we actually found another doctor out of Washington. Uh, Seattle, which is where we're going tomorrow, and he uh, and he took a call for me, which I'm surprised till today he did, and he was able to give me some treatments and tell me some different antibiotics that we needed to try and different professionals we needed to go see, yeah. and it took about two weeks from that call that I woke up and finally had like the aura was gone, this feeling of euphoria around my head, like I couldn't see peripherally anymore, it was back, and it was like I still get goosebumps thinking about it, like I just I woke up and I knew I was back. Yeah, I knew I was healing. And it took me a good year from that point on to heal. And I remember, you know, my job was open and I called them. I'm like, I think I'm coming back, you know, and they're like, wow, oh, cool. Let's do this. And then my brother-in-law, Wayne, I called him. who's kind of was a mentor to me most of my life. And, and he goes, hey, my mom and dad, like, loved me, supported me through this whole time. And they paid our bills. They did certain things for us that people, you know, parents do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't expect it, but they do it when they have to. But Wayne, he's like, hey, Gary, do you think God took you out of that? Just put you right back in it. And I'm like, man, don't say that. Like, that's <laughs> a hor that's horrible. Really like, I need money right yeah. now. Like, yeah. he's like, why don't, you, why don't you come and join me, man? I mean, it's time you go full time with me in real estate. Yeah. And what a blessing it was. I think he did about forty some deals that year before me, and then I was able to join the team, and we built over thirty along with you know it wasn't just me, but our team was able to grow. And and now I look around the country and see the people came off that team, like Dave Richter was in that team, and Josh Culler was on our team, and mm -hmm. like it's crazy because they're out doing so many great things now. But we built it to do three hundred deals a year out of Northwest Indiana. So did you along this time? I know that you're you're. Uh, Canon was ho holding out hope for you to come back. Yeah. So we, they they were there for you the whole time. Yeah, they were. So they never amazing. cut you. No. no. Okay. So they had the the position. He was actually getting a executive yeah. raise and a growth plan to move Thank to Houston. And yeah. um, and you told them like, hey, this isn't. Yeah. Work. Yeah. I, I've been cut. I got cussed out pretty good on that yeah. call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a great call. Like, what do you mean you're not coming back? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna do this, and they're like, "Because yeah. your health wasn't a hundred percent." Yeah, so putting that more stress too. on it, we didn't really think that'd be a great idea either. Yeah. So. so, just for again for perspective for everyone else, like, what was the pay that you were walking away from to go chase your dreams in real estate? So at the time, I mean, base was close to 120, and then you know, and then potential in corporate benefits, America, you have a potential yeah. with with more to that to, to gross out at 150 to 200, depending on what okay. year I look like and how many clients I had and things and like that. 120 to 150 to 200 goes pretty far in yeah. Indiana. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> very far. So when we <laughs> cost set, of living there is really cheap. We set our free. We set three marks for ourselves when when we started real estate. One was our freedom mark. One was our healthy mark. One was our abundant mark. And so freedom for us has always been $5,312 a month. That's mm -hmm. what we needed in cash flow to be free. And that pay means, yeah, to pay our bills. And honestly, we haven't changed much of that. Like, we still live in the same house. Most people would be surprised I still live in, like, a 2,000-square-foot by-level. I mean, it's nice to put a lot of money in fixing it up, but I don't want to change that 
that freedom mark for myself. Because yeah. as soon as I change it, like, and if I lost it all, something happened, you know, some of these things we don't control. Like, right. I don't, you don't control getting bit by a tick. You know, and it's not a fear thing. It's just a respect thing. It's a reality. Yeah. And so I, I don't need it. I don't live abundantly. I don't have a lot of fun, fancy stuff. And I just, I, I enjoy what we have, enjoy my time. I think at some point you stop valuing money and you start valuing time. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this, Steve. Um, one of the things when I teach customers, I talk about purpose. And I know your purpose and I love your purpose. We were talking about it out there today. And I love it because it's, it's about investing in other people. Mm-hmm. So purpose is a big driver for me. Right. And so when we know our purpose and we drive after our purpose, here's the thing. When I came to the end of my life or perceived in my life, the doctor says you have six months left. When somebody says that to you, you give an, you have to give an account of what you've done with your time. Mm-hmm. Right. I always say that you better be a good steward of the time God's given you. Because at some point you're going to answer to it. Right. And when you get an opportunity to answer to it and actually come out of it again, like mm-hmm. I have, you value time. Yeah. You value it in a really big way. Because there's, you know, there's not too many people get looked at 35. And I, I know there's a lot of people, maybe people on here that are facing um, types, types of situations that may be taking their life. But when you get that question, you don't know. And you can't honestly answer. You were a good steward of the time you were given. Mm-hmm. You start really valuing what you do with it. From that point on. Yeah. So, so there's no amount of cussing on their end that was going to bring you back. No. No. no not at that point. It took him away from everything. It took him yeah. away from us. It took him away yeah. from being able to help people. He was just a corporate Rat stuck in a wheel. <laughs> yeah. So freedom, 5,312. Yeah, was it? What's the next number? What's the? 12 was my healthy mark. Healthy. 12, yeah, that'd What's be nice healthy? dinners. That would be like vacations, vacations, getting away, doing some stuff together as a family throughout the year, things like that. Um, and then also, you know, still giving, but just not abundantly, mm-hmm. right? Like we're still going to be givers. We're going to be givers at 5,000 a year, uh, 5,000 a month. We're going to be givers at 12 as well. Uh, but 22,000 was the abundant mark for us. And uh, that was us being able to abundantly give back, right? What and does abundantly give back mean? So I have a goal of giving $2.6 million in one year to the Lord's work. That's mm-hmm. my goal. I mean, this year we're trying to build a, um, a, a church in the Philippines. Um, you know, we, we just talked last night on the way here. There's a lady that's going to work in an orphanage, and she reached out to us, and she's, like, right around $5,000, and she's like, well, let's do it. Like, you know, let's help her. So is so, it, like, anything over 22000 is just going to charity? So no, I mean anything yeah. up to twenty two thousand, we're still going to charity. It's just now, like, now it's going to be a hundred percent abundant at that point. And what I mean by abundance is it's it's at least fifty percent of what we bring in, yeah. right? Uh, is what's going to go in to to the Lord's work or other things that we we determine. But um, but yeah, the goal of two point six million in one year is is what we want to achieve by twenty twenty six. Hopefully, we achieve it well before twenty twenty six. So you partnered up, or you you worked with Wayne? Yeah. What were you doing for Wayne? So when I started off, I was yeah, I bought and sold houses in Michigan. That's what I did. You're, I did. Your, I mean, I don't know if they had they call them acquisition guys back then. Yeah, we sells. We did acquisitions and dispositions at our yeah. there. But no, I mean, it's not like I walked in and handed the keys to me or anything, right? Like he's like, you know, he's my older brother. Basically, you got to earn it, you know. And so I came in, started building systems and processes for him, like I did corporate America, and, mm-hmm. and started structuring the company. And the only way to me, so I was doing that, but I was doing it more free. And if I got paid, is I had a buy and sell house. Everybody there had a buy and sell house if you wanted to be there. Basically, yeah. is the mindset. So you're an integrator and a salesperson. Yeah, pretty much. And but so you only got paid for the sales, right? <laughs> no, that's good. That's what it was. If you want to work for me? Let me know. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, and then I had to figure it out because he's like, "Hey, you know, this area down here where we are, I already got people here. You know, I, if you're going to buy and sell, and make extra money, you got to do it up in Michigan, which is like two hours from my house." Yeah, I'm like, well, I can't drive yet. I still was still recovering. 
So I had to figure out, this was back before nobody was talking about virtual wholesaling. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure it out. It's 2011, 2012, I had to figure out how to, so we've, I virtually wholesaled over 150 houses in Michigan, yeah. um, you know, just, just trying to figure it out, you know? And so I, and through that, me and Wayne were able to, to grow the business. And then uh, I had a couple of people that worked there with us, Tom Olson and some other gentlemen, uh, Dave Richter, Josh Kohler, and those guys started joining and more, there's so many more. Uh, but uh, got to a point where Wayne and I partnered in another company called Good Success together, and we were part owners of that together. And the whole idea behind that was helping other companies as well. Because I had this passion of helping people. And so not like just the basis are sharper? It, it, similar. I mean, it was more around teaching real estate. It's mm -hmm. really more of a mastermind, and, too. Yeah, than actually teaching people how to run a business. Got it. And so. then at this point, you were still teaching? Or did you? Me? Yeah. yeah. I didn't stop teaching until, like, 2016. So... Okay. I, I stayed a teacher even while we started Sharper. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, I, it was 2018 before yeah. I quit. Yeah, she yeah. Was, I she did it. Teaching. I did two jobs because, you know, why not? All right. <laughs> so we would actually leave on the weekends, go work with a client, and come back so she could be back in time to. First uh, school on Monday. And it wasn't morning. crazy to me because she loved her job. I did love my job. And it was crazy to me, though, because she didn't make a ton. Like, no. It was, yeah, it was under 30000 a year. <laughs> Plus, so. I got the money. It wasn't no, the money. It wasn't the money. Yeah. It was the school our kids went to. It was, you know, Mom went to school with the kids every single day, so yeah. It's, yeah. it was nice. Um, so you initially partnered or worked with Wayne. It was not a partnership. You worked for Yeah, him. I worked for Wayne, mm -hmm. yeah, and then moved into a partnership with him through, throughout the time there. Okay, so what was his business like when you, start, when you started with him? What was his business like when you left? I think he was doing about 43, I think so 47 deals that first year mm -hmm. before I started, and then when I left, you were doing 300 a year. Okay, so you helped scale that business. Oh, yeah. And then you left. Yeah, 2016, and then I transitioned over. Me and him transitioned into to good success for mm -hmm. about a year, and then 2017, I started to move into uh, into sharper. Why leave that business? Because well, it was a good business. It was yeah. profitable. Yeah. Why? Why part ways? You know, I I never uh, I never loved real estate. I, I still can't tell you I love real estate. It's yeah. just not my thing, and um, and to a degree. You know, it feels a little selfish just to pour into making money, right, all the time. Um, and you can make a lot of money in real estate, but then I want to make an impact. It's not just about money for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you almost lose it all, money just doesn't bring you value anymore, right? Yeah. So like what brought me value, and then there, more importantly, there was a promise I had to fulfill. And the promise I had to fulfill is I promised God that if he gave me my life back in 2011, I would give it back to helping other people. And so that's where I went. I went. I went to try to help, and, and it actually fell upon me. It wasn't really um, something that I really stressed out. I had a gentleman, Max Keller, actually reach out to me, and he's like, "Hey, would you help me like you're doing there?" And I said, "Sure." Oh, you do for Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. And so I started, you know, doing it. And he started paying me a little bit, and then at some point, I had to form a name because I, I had to, company. you know, and actually make it a company. Mm -hmm. And so I named it after Susan. So Sharper is S Harper. And it's named after her, and it was kind of my way of thanking her for never leaving my side and never giving up on me and never stop believing. It would have been easy enough. Yeah, <laughs> when, you were, when you were a five year old. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> she like get me up every day, help me get dressed, like get me yeah. ready for you know that kind of thing. She just never quit on me. She she kept yeah. believing, even when everybody's like, "There's nothing wrong with him," right? She just she believed, and that's my number one core values: belief. So, so you started. 2017, 2018, what was it? 2017. 2017. So you start Sharper in 2017. You right. got Max Keller as your first right. client. And then, like, that was just word of mouth you were growing. Like, what was... 
Hundred percent. Absolutely, how it started. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just word of mouth and trying to help people and go from one client to the next and just trying to bring them value and and it not really a plan to like grow it into anything bigger than just trying to help as many people that wanted to be helped. Mm. And um, I was I was charging like really nominal fees at the time and um, like every new budding business owner. Yeah, mm-hmm. and charge, I just, way I, undercharged. Yeah, I kept getting ridiculed and like you're not charging enough. Even my customers were telling me I wasn't charging enough and. And so one day I was like, all right, I've helped enough people now. What's the average profit per deal? Mm-hmm. Right? So then I based it off the average profit per deal. And I'm like, man, if I can't get one, help one person get another deal based on what I'm doing to help them, yeah. I don't really deserve to be paid, right? Right. And then on top of that, I really wanted to protect it. So now, and it's still this way today, like when people hire us, they put a deposit down, mm-hmm. but they don't pay us in full until we're done like yeah. with the implementation. And that's to protect the integrity of the product and make sure that we don't ever get labeled as a guru. Like, I don't, I don't want to take your money if I have brought you value. Yeah. That's just what it is, right, at the end of the day. And so if I don't deliver value, then don't pay me. That's okay. I'm okay with that, right? Right. But that's a, that was the concept behind it. So you're, you're growing word of mouth. And at this point, Sharper is your only business. No. So what's kind of funny is he started Good Success. Mm-hmm. More of a mastermind-type, field-group-type setting, and that's when Sharper began because they wanted more one-on-one attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Good Success basically said, we can't do that. We don't have time and, you know, not able to do that. The guy's like, well, I'll do it. We'll, you know, we'll do clients, you know, do the one-on-ones with them, um, which started the whole thing. Yeah. And then I don't think we made Sharper its own company, but that's the only thing we did. I don't even know the timeline on that. Yeah, was it just 2018, about a year later? Over, probably, about, yeah. about a year later, maybe. Yeah. But it was just naturally migrated. And then now Sharper's nine businesses. Yeah, so yeah. when did so. you guys go from helping these businesses to constantly traveling? Because hmm. so, I don't think everyone knows how much you guys travel. Yeah. I was surprised when you know, I found out how much <laughs> you guys travel. Um, probably at the end of... Probably beginning of 2018, 2000, end of it. Probably not until I quit working school. Yeah, that was probably it. Because here's the thing. I made a decision. I, I wasn't going to go on the road and travel without her. Yeah. Right? Not because I couldn't do it. It was because I did it in corporate America for years. It's because I wanted to protect our relationship. There's a lot of temptations out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you can fall prey to. And I, if I was going to do this, I was going to put myself on the road, and I was going to spend time with other people, I wasn't going to sacrifice this again. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to fa- sacrifice my kids. I wasn't going to sacrifice my family. They were more important to me than any amount of money you could ever put in front of me. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with my family, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to sacrifice it. And so that was, and that was, a, that was, a, there was, there was a line in the sand on there for me. Like I yeah. am not crossing that land, that line. And so I took as much as I could take with her being able to go when we could do it together. Mm-hmm. And then finally I looked at her one time. I'm like, Hey, you really need to stop working. And she was <laughs> like, Why? I'm like, Because you're costing me over a million dollars a year. She's like, No, I'm not. I'm like, Yes, you are. <laughs> and so she decided to stop, and, and then that's about the time we took off. And I think right now, I think last year we flew over 160 times. Mm-hmm. And, um, 160. You know, well, I guess you don't have round trips because you're, you're, you're making yeah. everything's a circuit. Yeah. Right. We don't yeah. ever do a round trip. <laughs> no. yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, in the last two weeks, we went from Florida to, I don't even know where we've gone from. It was Florida. Back. In Florida, we were with three different people. So. Yeah. And then last yeah. week, we were, yeah, we were in Tampa last week, last Thursday and Friday, and then came home for a couple of days, and then here, and then Seattle, Washington, and then I don't even know where we go after that. But So, how many days on the road in a year? Well, I think we mm-hmm. average about seven to eight days at home a month. 
Okay, because I was going to ask you, like, what's the point of having a home? Yeah, we're worth considering yeah, that right we're now. Actually <laughs> gonna sell, we got about, we're selling over on over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in equity well, we just, right now. So. We just made it like perfect the way we wanted it, and yeah, now right. he's like, we should sell it. Yeah, so I think, yeah, good question. I like that you asked that question. <laughs> Helps me persuade her a little bit. <laughs> All right, so uh, you start sharper, and then you're in multiple masterminds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so talk about that. Yeah. Like, why, why are you masterminds? What what's what are you doing in them? So, you know, joining a mastermind was that ability to, to help, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the mastermind, you're helping people. Um, the other thing is, is just industry knowledge, you know, industry benchmarking, things like that. One of the things I think we've done a really good job of is being able to understand the benchmarks of the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know really quickly what the industry averages are and every one of the metrics and KPIs. I mean, yeah. because we get to see it. And then, and then the other thing is each mastermind has a different flavor, has a different feel, has a different culture, right? And so those are the other things that that I like to be a part of is being a part of those different cultures. And the, and then the really crazy thing about with real estate is you can have pockets in real estate. Like yours, for example, like you've got this culture that, you know, following over here that these people in the East Coast never heard of. Right. Yeah. Like and then the same thing with each one of them. So yeah. like each pocket like it has its own you know, its own culture and its own people, its own following. And I just think it's awesome to build yeah. those relationships and be a part of that with people. And I'm really lucky. Like, um, you know, when there was an opening in Collective Genius, yeah. Leon reached out to you and you're like, oh, just call Steve. Yeah. And yeah, so, exactly. I mean, that was a big uh, pivot, you know, for, for my career. You know, yeah. it made a big change in my in my business and my family's outcome. So, you know, still thank you very much for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you got nine dead businesses now yeah Yeah. okay so before we go into those nine i just want to share um because you came and consulted uh here yeah back in december so i mean six months ago um and a people should we review your rocks right now in front of everybody (laughs) we should i think we should uh so um uh, people were kind of surprised because you know how well you know we've connected and so on that I actually never got consulted by you so when i said like that's the first time you came out they're like really yeah uh but on top of that when you came out, um, what I said to other people on other podcasts, like Gary didn't teach me anything I didn't know, right? right? Like no. I, I'm well read, I've, I've gone through all this stuff, yeah. but what Gary and Susan were really good at was like a surgeon <laughs> excising and identifying all the problems in the business, right? Like you didn't know about this, like I had no idea this was a problem, that was a problem. Mm-hmm. And it was that you guys put up the, um, the accountability chart. Yeah. And like, wow, Steve's it's yeah. made it very painfully obvious. I <laughs> yeah. think. Very painfully obvious. Uh, but I mean, I think that was a, the value is like, you can know this stuff, you can know this business, mm-hmm. but you still need a professional third party consultant to come out and just kind of like poke where it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Like find out like a doctor, like, okay, this is hurting. Okay. This part's fine. But that part is, that's yeah. robbing. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that was a big takeaway for me, which I don't think anyone else in the office enjoyed was that <laughs> Steve's allowed to start as many businesses as he wants. Mm-hmm. So long as he has the right integrator in place. Yeah, as long as you're not a resource to the business. Right, and yeah. so that's I'm asking that, or I'm bringing that up because you've got nine mm-hmm. businesses. So talk about starting at one and maybe kind of break down like the ones you started and yeah. what they do and like how this makes sense, this ecosphere. So so it's an ecosystem, right? So we, we have a well, curriculum we've been using the last couple of years and when we're, we're actually trademarking and putting out right now with Eddie Wilson. Eddie Wilson's a partner of mine. Brandon, Austin McCurdy, these partners of Stephanie Betters we talked about. And or she was on your show just not too long ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so these are different people that are partners actually in Sharper, actually have some equity stake in the business. 
And I love that. I love bringing people in and being part of things. But there, it's an ecosystem. And as a company grows, it grows in from less organizational structure to what we call the matrix, mm-hmm. right, into an, an ecosystem, if you will. And the program that we have and we teach and help customers with is what we call Empire. And Empire helps you through all five stages of business from startup all the way through succession. If you want to sell it, like if mm-hmm. you want to exit. How many people know how to exit their business? Right. A lot of people think about it. Right. They do. They think <laughs> they about, dream it. about it. Yeah. But, but like, about what it. is the steps actually get yeah. there? Right. So knowing what each one of those stages are, then identifying what stage you're in. Right. And then knowing how to properly navigate to the next stage without crushing the business. Mm-hmm. Really important. It's a big part of this. All that to say is we had to form an ecosystem around it in order to support each one of those businesses in each one of those stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have things like Sharper Consulting, which is what me and you work together on. We have Sharper Personnel. That actually helps people hire employees. Mm-hmm. I think we're hiring over 80, I would guess, right now. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not active in that business. That. <laughs> She's not the integrator. I'm not even the visionary of that business. Yeah. So, But I get a nice check every quarter, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So, But we're hiring a lot of people around the country. My daughter works for that company, and mm-hmm. uh, so she's there. But we have, um, you're going to have to help me too, so we have Sharper Marketing, which is a company that helps with things. We have Sharper Education. Uh, Sharper Marketing Story Brand. Sharper Education is a company that we have um, like training videos online for like forty nine dollars a month. You can get COO training, CEO training. You can get we Brian it's business business yeah, training, business Ackerman yeah. training. Right. We got different different speakers and leadership and things like that on there. We have Sharper Events, probably my, one of my favorite companies. Um, Brandon McCurdy is the visionary of that company. Rachel is our our integrator, and we have a workshop. Actually, we have one coming up here in in, in Vegas. Or I'm sorry, July, yeah. in July in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that one focuses on leadership and how to lead your business and how to implement systems and, and how to leverage the knowledge you have. It's a three-day workshop. It's a really great workshop. And uh, we've had three or four of them this yeah. year. We have the couples retreat. And uh, you talk hear me talk a lot about Susan and I and how much I love our, uh, her and she's the love of my life. And, you know, we take time every year to do an annual planning session for our business. Mm. And we don't do it for marriage, right? We don't do it for our family. And so I told Susan, I am not like, this isn't my area of expertise, right? But I bring in people that are experts in this area. Yeah. So I can learn, right? And so like, it's 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 like the old saying, if you ever want to get at something, start a podcast and interview, like <laughs> experts, right? That's what I did. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I'm doing with the couples retreat, right? Yeah. Like I want to bring in people that I can learn with you, Steve. Like, mm-hmm. let's do this together. Yeah. Right. And now I get an opportunity to stand up and speak and things like that. But we speak more on like how to have a system within your family, but like the actual coaching of how mm-hmm. to keep it healthy. We bring in other people for that, right? And so we do that in the Sharper event. So these are different companies we have. They're, they're out there to support each other. We have Sharper consul- uh, Sharper Speakers, which is a, a platform that helps people book speaking engagements and, and build their clout online, right? Yeah. We have that. We have um, publishing. publishing. We have Sharper Publishing that helps you publish your books. I have a book that came out this past year, Sharper Publishing. It will help you create Actually, write the book. We have a ghostwriter that actually help you write the book and get it published online. Yeah, uh, we have Sharper Ministries, which is one of my favorite companies, and that is being doing the business consulting, but for churches. Yeah, and so that's one of the ones that I get really excited about. And then as well. Sharper Ventures. Yep, Sharper Ventures is our newest company. I'm a 50-50 owner in that. Oh, I'm sorry, we just added another owner, <laughs> but it's me, Eddie Wilson, and Brandon McCurdy, mm-hmm. and that's that's the um, that's a LLC that owns Empire. Gotcha. Right. That owns that curriculum. We have a, a toolbox coming out, a, a software coming out for operating systems. Uh, that's going to be part of that as well. And so, so can you elaborate on the five phases? Yeah. Again, because I think uh, there are a lot of people that are trying to get their first deal or two. Mm-hmm. 
but then, you know, there's people that start growing and then they get frustrated. <laughs> you want to talk about that evolution? Yeah. So startup is the first stage, right? Startup is predetermined amount of time, money, and resources. Every single time we start a company, we have to answer those three questions. What time frame am I putting on this? What's money am I going to put out? How much do I need to make? And what are the resources I need in order to make this successful? Mm-hmm. Every business I ever start and learn this lesson the hard way, I don't start a new business without hiring the integrator first. That position, for you, those of you entrepreneurs are out there right now, that's quicksand. You get into that seat, you're going to stay there a little while. Yeah. Right? It's really hard to pull back out. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because you're the one that's building it. You get emotionally invested. You start, you know, time, money, all that. You start pouring into it. And, I, and the business decide, needs you to pour into it if you're going to sit right. in that seat. I prefer to hire somebody else that can pour into it. Now, I also don't live on fear in business. If it doesn't work, shut down. That's where that time comes in. I'm getting six months. What's the money? I better make a break even in that six months, right? Or at least get some of my money back. But I need those things to protect me because if I don't do it, I'm not going to let a a business bleed my other businesses or bleed me. So then the thing is now resources. I need an integrator. Integrators got to hire. They got to hire the people that need to run this company. Okay? And be able to get us to profit in that time frame. Yeah. Or we got to shut it down. That's startup. Stage two is perseverance. That's where a lot of our audience lives, right? They live in that grind stage. Mm-hmm. That's that persevering. You're working 40, 80 hours a week or more, right? You're maybe sitting in multiple seats in your own business, yeah, right? A lot of seats. Yeah. You might be sitting in 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> in your own business. But knowing that about yourself, knows, you know that you're in that grinding stage, you're at perseverance, and you can have success in that stage. You can do a couple hundred deals a year in that stage until what? Until you lose your family, yeah. you lose your health, right? You start to destroy relationships around you. You're grinding so much all the time that you just mm-hmm. don't come up for air. And so we got to be careful of that stage. That stage will, people stay in that stage way too long. And they tend to live there and they think that's business. That's not. It's not business. Yeah. Getting your systems, processes documented, getting the right people in the right seats, helping those people grow, building a succession plan, right? Helping invest in not just in real estate, but in people to help you let go without losing control. Stage, that's stage two. Stage three is where we get in that viability stage. The business is sustainable, right? It's got, it's making money. It's a, it's a healthy business now. You're not in every seat in their company anymore. And if you are, you're being paid for the seats you're sitting in. Yeah. Right? That's the biggest mistake I see guys make. Yeah, that's they a big think one. they're in profit, but I'm like, wait a minute, are you paying yourself for each seat you're sitting in? I'm like, well, no, a business can't afford that. Well, then you're then not you're really not profit, profit. <laughs> yeah. right? So you can't say you're here if you're not. You're still in perseverance. So at least accruing and budgeting for that seat if you're sitting in it, right? Yeah. Um, I'll do an implementation tomorrow. I've chose to do it. Chose to work with this client. I don't do them all. We have seven coaches. I don't have to. I'll stop tomorrow. I do it because I want to. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a big difference doing it because you have to and doing it because you want to. Absolutely. Big difference. So that's what I do. I said, these are the ones I want to work with, right? And so sitting in that, I'll pay myself as an implementer tomorrow. I get a salary, a CEO salary of all the ecosystem. I get, you know, profit share of each one of the companies. But I'm paying myself if I'm sitting in that seat, Yeah. right? And I'm legitimately going to take the money, right? There's no problem with me on that. Because I'd pay it to somebody else if they did it, Mm -hmm. right? So that is viability. Viability is you've gotten your initial investment back. You're making money. You're not sitting in every seat. And if you are, the business is accruing for the cost it, or paying you for it, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you're healthy. Your business is, is profitable. Now, once you get there, where most people get there and they're like, hey, listen, I'm good. I, I don't I don't need more than this. 
right? I've got balance. I'm time with my kids. I'm enjoying life. We're making money. We've got a healthy team. Business is viable. And a lot of people get there. I tell almost 90% of people get there and go, I'm staying here, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. You don't have to have a big team to be in that stage. You can have three to five, maybe 10 employees if you want. I don't care. Right. Right. It's just about meeting those criteria and being a healthy business. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, however, choose to go from stage three, viability, to expansion. Yeah. And I think the confusion there for a lot of people yeah. is they feel like you have to go to stage four. Mm. No. And that's <laughs> yeah. something that, like, I, like, when people tell me they want to do this, it's like, why? Why? Yeah. yeah. Right. And if you know why, then go for it. Yeah. yeah. But if you don't know why, like this is not a natural progression. I mean, I know like for me on the, on the realtor side, like everyone's like, oh, you just become a broker. You just start a broker. Like, no, don't do that. that sounds yeah. like a headache. <laughs> yeah. Right. So people have these ideas like this is the next logical step. So we want to talk about the questions someone should be asking themselves before they go from stage three to stage four. Yeah. So here, here let me say this. So it's peer pressure too, by the way. We yeah. get in masterminds. It's you know, am I keeping up with the Joneses? Am I keeping up with the? I'm 100 you know, percent doing. Yeah, <laughs> am I trying to? Am I trying to be like so and so? Can I be like this guy? That's so great. I was actually asked this question. I was in board of advisors, which is a great mastermind. It's a bit more of a business mastermind. And uh, this person in the crowd's like, "Why would I ever go to stage four from stage three if I'm making good money there?" And I said, "The only reason you go from stage three to stage four is purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. That's yeah. a question you should ask. What's my purpose?" Does my business support, and not every business should be 10x, by the way. It right. shouldn't. It's not healthy enough to do it. Or it's not built properly, or it's just not the type of business that should go 10x. Yeah, not the right industry. Right. Yeah. The product's not available, right? Or mm-hmm. something. Something that's locking it down from going 10x. Now, if you have pro- product availability, and you have the ability to scale the systems and process support scale, and you make that jump, you better make the jump with purpose in mind. You make the jump without purpose in mind because you're taking profits to reinvest R&D, research and development, to scale. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to make less money originally in stage four than you would in stage three. Yeah. And we can see people masterminds all the time and get them like, I, man, I, I, I tried scaling and I'm making less money now. And I was, you know, when I had five employees, I'm just going to go back to five employees. Well, it's because you didn't scale for purpose. Mm-hmm. The other thing, reason why we find that people go backwards is because they go from stage two straight to stage four. They don't ever stress test the business. They don't ever like they paid themselves. They're not paying themselves for all these seats they're setting in. Mm-hmm. So I think we could 10 X this. And then they never really stress tested to make sure it was a viable business, right? And so they get into stage four. They're not making as much money as they thought. It's not moving as fast, whatever. And then they go backwards. But stage four is all about purpose. You want a 10X for purpose, right? Now, when you make it through it, and listen, there's no guarantee that you're going to 10X. There's no guarantee because you had a viable business, it's going to scale, right? I think I saw the other day on SBA, like 4% of the businesses make it 10 years. That's, That's a shocking statistic. Yeah. Right? That's crazy if you think about it. Well, if that's what happens, right? Not everybody's going 10X. So just know that you take that risk when you make that jump, right? And so then the next stage, stage five is succession, mm-hmm. right? What is succession? Succession is whatever you want it to be, whether it's retirement. Maybe it's when your head hits your pillow for the final time, right? Mm-hmm. It could be selling your company off. It could be appointing a new, you know, Brian Snyder and 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 Brett Snodgrass. You know, Brett moved in the owner's box. He brought up a visionary. He, he lives in owners. That's his succession plan. It's whatever you want it to be. It's like that next stage for you and your business. Um, and so that's what we're looking for is like how to build to that, right? Mm-hmm. How to position to sell. How many people are thinking about selling their business, right? How many people are positioning their business to be sold if they right. wanted to? So we can't sell a wholesale business. Yeah, you can. Right. There's things about it you can sell. Yeah. What makes a business sellable? Product. Right. What else makes a business sellable? Process. 
right? You can sell your process. I mean, Rafael Vargas actually sold all his processes after we came in and worked for, with him, right? Yeah. It's one of the things he did. He, he made me sign an NDA, so after I helped him build his processes, he could go out and sell the process, mm -hmm. right? And he made a lot of money that way. Yeah. So there's there's people that do it, right? Certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's see what we got here. Um, a lot of love. Yeah, a lot of people think you're amazing people, so that's Aww. awesome. <laughs> that's great. Warner says you helped him discover his purpose. Um, all right. Let's... He has a pretty incredible one, so... <laughs> I love to hear it. I know when I when I first met with him, it had to do with his mom retiring mm -hmm. her. Is that still the same one, or mm -mm. is this more? All right, so it's a little bigger now. All right. Uh, so Roger Atkins wants to know who are the people that inspire you. Mm. Who are the people that inspire me? Um, well, I got a, I've got a, that's a long list. Um, I think there's there's the people right around you, right, and and that's your friends, you, right. I, I talk about you a lot, and and I think you know Jason Medley, Mike Hambright. There are people out there. My, Wayne Schaefer, my brother-in-law, inspire me. I don't think there's any more people though that inspire me more than my dad, my mom, and my wife, mm -hmm. um, and and my father-in-law, and uh, and and immediate family members. I, you know, it's not a success thing or money thing that inspires me. Mm -hmm. It's the quality of people that they are. It's it's the heart for others that they have that inspire me. Uh, we we connected pretty quickly. Yeah, and we what we connected on was helping people. Right, right. It wasn't about money. I don't even think we talked about money. Right. It was mm -hmm. like how do we help each other? How do we help others? Um, her mom was somebody that inspired me in an amazing way. I met her mom prior to ever meeting my, my wife, and I was I was a janitor, made six hundred dollars a month. I didn't have a lot of clothes. She brought me clothes. She believed in me. Um, and then and I met her daughter. I'm like, wow, this is that lady's daughter. Like, <laughs> like I love this. I mean, I'm gonna marry her. Right? Like, it was pretty clear. But uh, my father-in-law just being consistent, driving a truck 35 years, consistency. My dad, 21 years in the military, uh, fought in Vietnam. He had a like. Um, a lot of a lot of time he just gave to Vietnam and and his life and things and 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 it was for me it was amazing to me because my dad my dad uh, like cared about the people you know it wasn't it wasn't it was he was treated almost as a ministry to help people and it was it, it so and even now it's just those are the people that inspire me is is my relatives or a lot of them you know um, so you dropped out of high school yeah I did and a lot of people that listen to this or some of my followers. They're trying to figure out, like, should I go to college and I go to college? And, like, yeah. there's, like, questions about, like, you know, parental support. Mm -hmm. So you dropped out of high school. Like, how did that affect things at home? It didn't really affect much at home. I mean, um, I was a pretty bad kid. So, like, most people don't realize I was, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I got kicked out of a couple of different schools and lied to my parents and just did a couple of things I shouldn't have done in a high schooler. Um, and so like leaving home at 16, I so my dad always say, it's like one day I woke up and you were gone. Right. Oh, so you made the decision to just leave. Yeah. So I, I actually moved up to Northwest Indiana with Wayne and my, you know, I, I needed to get away from friends. Right. I had a lot of real bad influences and honestly I was known as a troublemaker. So it was like, they expected me to keep up this hype. Right. <laughs> so I needed to like reinvent myself somewhere else. So going to Northwest Indiana from Virginia is what I did, and um, and honestly, it it took me down the right path. I was smoking, drinking, like I, I didn't live pure in any way, shape, or form. And so moving up to Northwest Indiana kind of gave me a fresh start. So maybe a maverick and not a great environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some things sure. can happen. Yeah, not for, yeah for sure. Um, what about you? Who I inspires was, you? Oh yeah, it's definitely relative. So just have a very close family knit, you know. So I always say it's my mom, my dad, and my grandpa, and I can pinpoint the attributes that they helped shape and mold who I am. So um, my dad and mom, they're just people who don't quit. They literally taught me the belief that I can do anything I want to. 
And I have a grandpa who is the most jovial, happiest person I've ever met. He was a childlike, you know, saint, I guess is the better word. Um, so his positive perspective is is something that absolutely, I totally attribute to what I learned from him. So, yeah. yeah. Um, when, you, when you guys were out here, we also talked about the predictive index yeah. and how we're both individualists. Yeah. And how um, we can get in trouble in masterminds. Yes. Because we'll speak exactly what's on our mind. And tell the truth. And tell the truth. <laughs> but ask the question, or we're genuinely curious, but it comes across as, how are you this stupid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that a lot, especially. <laughs> so I, I do enjoy process mapping. I, I like helping people clearly lay out right. what it is they do what, you know, and the steps that they take. But they'll get to a point in the process, and I'm like, wait a minute, why? Why would, would you, you do that? I know, and he goes, she, what she really means is, I'm like, no, I really mean, why would you do that? It makes no sense to well, me. What was the thought process? Illogical. How did you come to this conclusion? <laughs> right. Yeah. I took a picture the other day when she asked this question, and this guy does one of these. So I took a picture of her, I'm like, this is a perfect why moment. Like when Susan goes, why would you do that? And he goes, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But the look yeah. that comes across my face is kind of like, why are you stupid? And I don't yeah. mean to be that way. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I was actually, I had a couple people like pull me aside. I was like, you need to like lighten up on these people in the mastermind. Smile when you do it. And I was like, I'm genuinely curious, like how they came to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. But the way you asked the question, it's all body language. Yeah. Um, So Benjamin wants to know if you can have coffee with someone dead or alive, dead or alive, who would it be and why I'll start with you? That's a Mm. tough question. Yeah, that is a tough question. I have too many. Yeah. I have a couple of relatives in heaven and um, I lost my brother when he was 28. So to sit any time amount of time with him would be amazing and same with my mom. Yeah. It's a really tough question for her. Um, Jeff passed away on a motorcycle at 28 years old and then her mom, uh, we lost her to a drunk driver last year. So yeah. for those yeah. four days before Christmas. So it's, those are really, really hard questions. And honestly, I think they'd, um, they'd be very similar answers for me. Um, just amazing people. Amazing people, um, I, you know. You know, there's a lot of names out there, but it, it's the people that just get up every day and show up mm-hmm. for me that I want to. I want to talk to. Yeah, you know, those are the people that I want to invest my time with. And uh, her mom and dad are definitely those people. And cool. Jeff was a great man as well. Well, I think that kind of leads to the next question. You're saying the people that you know wake up every day and do what they do. Yeah. Roger wants to know what drives you every day. Drives <laughs> me every day. Roger is my nephew, or my 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 cousin's son. He he's my personal assistant, so it's funny he's asking me these questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I love, love you, Roger. Uh, what drives me every day? Um, so what drives me every day is the joy of of helping people. And I know we've talked a lot about that, but seeing people grow up. One of my favorite statements is, "We rise by lifting others." Right, and so I want to win. There's no doubt. I'm probably one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I drive hard. Susan said to me just today, "Not everybody can work as hard as you." Right? Like, <laughs> and they're like, "You want to work that hard?" Yeah, I actually do. Like, when I hire people, I go, "You, I want a half a day's worth of work out of you. That's it. Just a half a day." And they're like, "Really? I thought it was full time." I'm like, "Yeah, twelve hours. You can do whatever you want with the other twelve. Right? You pick whatever twelve hours you yeah, want. Yeah, like you can do whatever. I mean, but I want a half a day." Yeah. So, like, just that that constant chase of winning, as long as it's not it doesn't come at the expense of other people, right? If yeah. if I can win with others, that re- that really does inspire me. But I'll be honest with you, the biggest thing that drives me is um, probably more than anything is is seeing my loved ones' faces when we I'm able to give back and help mm-hmm. them. And then probably more importantly than that is, um, you know, we've been able to give a lot of money to our church and schools and things like that and give to people that would otherwise not be able to have 
right? And um, and that that probably brings me the biggest goosebumps. We had a friend this week, that's a couple months ago, that needed a van, and and they need a car, and we were able to help them buy a car and and things like that. That that's what pushes me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know, like for people that knew me before, not to say I was ever like you know a bad person, but I mean I was motivated by money. I think a lot of us when we first started in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was. And, and so for me, um, it wasn't until I opened my brokerage in 2013 that it kind of changed because I opened the brokerage just to keep more of my commission, right? <laughs> and as I'm training agents and coaching people, which not for profit, because running a brokerage is not for profit, right? Um, I was, that was when I learned the fulfillment of helping other people, lifting yeah. other people, and that's way more rewarding than any amount of money. Uh, so I, I, love, I love that you're talking about the, the helping people. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people giving is so selfish. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Yeah. So one of the statements I heard a long time ago is you can give of your life. Life is labor, influence, finances, or experience. Right? Mm-hmm. So I want to give of my life. My labor, influence, finance, or experience. And I find that so rewarding, it feels selfish. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it really does. I, I yeah. it's, The most selfish thing I do is help people. Because it, it makes me feel good. You yeah. know, it makes me feel good about what I'm able to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's to agree. It's, there's an ego behind it all because it makes me feel so good that I'm able to do it. Yeah. So yeah. people think it's a sacrifice, and it is, but it's still still very self-awarding to help other people. Incredibly fulfilling. Yeah. So. What, inspire, uh, what, what drives you? So it, it just doesn't occur to me to do nothing less than what we already do. Yeah. Like, I want to get up every day and spend it with him, and this is what he's doing, so we do it together. Yeah. Um, I do to feel, get and see fulfillment in other people succeeding. And when I know what we can do to help their business, it then alters the way that they have their family's lives. It alters the employees that work there. It alters more than just making that other person some more money. Yeah, it's a huge impact. So, yeah. it, and it, it, it trickles down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being able to see that and see it fulfilled. It's pretty awesome. Um, so let's see what else. Uh, so Jason G was how... Did you mentally power through a setback of that scale? This was early part of the um, podcast, so I imagine he's talking about you know Lyme disease and losing everything. So, was there anything that you did to mentally power through a setback of that scale? So, in my book, "Is Your Business Sick?" I talk about chapter one. I talk about that whole time and how we came overcame it. But um, first of all, I don't think one person alone could just come through that by themselves. So. You know, the fact that my family was there for me, my wife was there, she never left my side. You know, it, it I don't think I could have personally just pulled through it by myself. Mm-hmm. So from a mental perspective, when you have people around you that love you, believe in you, and they're helping you pull out of it, and they're they're literally reaching out in the sand to pull you out, then it can, you know, it gives you hope. I saw a thing the other day where the, the scientists took a mouse and dropped it in a glass of water. And it, it did you hear this? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how long did he stay afloat before he gave up? Well, he stayed afloat. I think it was like, you know, uh, 15 minutes or something mm-hmm. similar or something like that. And then the next one was, it's like they pulled him out as he was drowning and then they let him set their rest and they dropped him right back in. So inhumane. They dropped him right back in. And it was like, well, how long did he like make it the second time? And most people say one minute, like he just gave up right away. And I think the answer was like 60 hours. Like it yeah, was like rid- four days. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like how long he didn't give up. Yeah. It's hope. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the potential. And when you get people around you that are giving you hope, I, hope is something very important to me. I, so a couple of things is I prayed every day for hope. I didn't pray. To God, I didn't say, God, get me out of the storm. I said, God, get me through the storm. Yeah. Right? It was a different mindset. Um, I, 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 would, I stopped praying for healing and start praying for, like, what I could do with it. 
right? I heard mom looked at me one time and said, Gary, maybe this is just a new normal, right? And so you, you come through accepting that, but then like, how can I take and capitalize on it? How can I make myself better through this, right? And so I didn't want to come out of the storm. I wanted to get through it so I could learn the lessons of what it was teaching me. Yeah. And so when you switch that mindset, because now you got hope, you have potential, I can do something with this. Hope is a dangerous thing when we lose it. Yeah. Right? And so sometimes we got to quit asking to come out of a situation and asking for hope through the situation. Yeah. You know, 2020 was one of those years that people had a lot of good results in real estate. Why did we have so many results? I've taught vision planning for 20 years, right? And so in 2020, year of clear vision, right? I had a book coming out on that, which I threw away because <laughs> it wasn't a clear vision year at all, um, was we had all these results because we focused on zero to 90 days. Mm-hmm. The immediate. The immediate. And 90 days or less gives you, what does it give you? It gives you results. Hope, clarity. 90 days into one year, five years gives us potential, mm-hmm. gives us hope. Right. Long term vision plan is not about getting results. It's about hope. Yeah. What it could be like. At the end of the year last year, I was like, man, what? Why in the world do we even teach this anymore? Like I was rocked a little at my core. I'm like, why should I teach long term vision planning anymore? People had their best year, zero to 90 days focus. And then I see people even now or before a 13 week year, things like that going, I'm just focusing zero to 90 days. And they burn out and they get frustrated and they give up but they had the results. Why? Zero to 90 days, short-term vision gives us results. It gives us grind. Yeah. Yeah. But 90 to days and beyond gives us hope. And here's the thing I tell people, leaders, you know, visionaries get inspired by the potential. Hmm. They've already saw the results. It's already been there. They've already, even if they haven't achieved it, they already saw it. Right. Employees get inspired by the result or by the zero to 90 days, which is the results. And I think uh, one thing that, uh, one of the big lessons I took from Darren Hardy was, um, You know, as a leader, our our responsibility within an organization is to be a hope dealer, mm-hmm. right? I don't play on words, but you know, you're yeah. you're out there dealing hope. Yeah. If you inspire, and people will work. If you're not inspiring, yep. and there's nothing yeah. <laughs> to come to work for, right? Right. Then it's just money. Um, and so, uh, Chandler and Gino want to know when is the right time? How when do you know it is the right time to start another business? So when you're no longer, if you're in a business, when you're no longer the resources to that business, right? When you have stepped out of being a resource, what is resources? Time, money, people, energy, right? Mm-hmm. When we're not a resource to that company anymore, we have the right and ability to go start another, right? Which is one of the reasons why I don't like starting a business and setting an integrator seat. Yeah. I want to be able to eliminate myself as a resource almost right away. Yeah. Right? That gives me the freedom to go start more and do more things. But as soon as I get called in and get stepped down from integrator below, then I forfeit my right to be in charge of any other company. You know, it's interesting. Uh, someone's asking me about, you know, my partnership with Max. Yeah. And uh, when I hired him, I hired him initially as a caller. I right? just following up with leads. And my vision for him was to eventually just run the investment arm of mm-hmm. my business. And then he left, quit, right? Um, and I said, like, okay, well then, clearly he was not that guy. Um, but as we talked, you know, we stayed in touch. And two years later, I was like, okay. I think I can bring him back in and he can run this organization. So I can start a whole business where I'll fund it, but someone else is running it because mm-hmm. I didn't want to step in and run that. I have too many other things going on. So like yeah. it, I knew wholesaling was profitable. I knew I wanted to grow and scale that business, but I was not going to be the one that was going to grow and scale that business. Right. I mean, that was a disaster waiting yeah. to happen. <laughs> well, the other thing I think that people have to give themselves the permission for is to not be the visionary. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like you don't have to be the visionary of a company. I don't know why so many people, Steve, aspire to be in the visionary seat. It makes no sense to me. I think it's because the people that we attract in this industry or any business really are drivers. I think yeah. drivers tend to be visionaries. Well, true. And I want, so and then, by the way, I think there's a difference between an innovator and a visionary. Mm-hmm. There are innovators in this business and there are visionaries in this business. Yeah. Where an innovator creates it. A visionary mm-hmm. can see where it's going to go, mm-hmm. but needs somebody to create it sometimes. Sometimes we have both, where there's innovators and visionaries. Jason Lewis both. and Casey yeah. Ryan. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I don't aspire to be in the visionary seat. It's a seat in the business, mm-hmm. right? It still has a job. It still has role. a job. Yeah. I want to sit in the owner's box. And that's where I like to be, right? Like, that's that's where I aspire to be. I have no ego about sitting in the visionary seat of a mm-hmm. business, yeah. right? And so I'm the CEO of the whole ecosystem, but each one of my businesses have their own visionary. Um, so I, had, I was talking to somebody. Because uh, you you see these guys, you mentioned Guru earlier, and Guru is taking a very negative connotation. These no one really looking up to Gurus anymore. Right. right. Um, and I make the argument that Gurus are just visionaries without the right integrator. They haven't mm-hmm. been able to execute. That so, could be very true. what are your thoughts on that? No, I think it'd be very true. I think they, you know, they see it, they aspire to it, they want to get there, and they can't execute on yeah, it. They're so they're a great coach. Yeah. They just can't do. Right. They get labeled. And, and so I don't think they set out with the mindset of like trying to not deliver value to people. I think they truly think they can. Mm-hmm. And then they get there and they're in the mix of it and like it doesn't work. Well, they don't have the answers because they're not yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. And so then they get to a point where, yeah. So I can totally see that. It's a good perspective. Yeah. For sure. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, Dan Bro says, you know, uh, working with you guys and your team, one of the best business decisions you ever made. Uh-huh. Um, Stephen Collar says, do not start a new venture without an integrator. <laughs> uh, so Dan Bro's follow up question is what is your ultimate vision that's for you Dan Bro's asked my ultimate vision my ultimate vision is to uh, build this ecosystem up enough to um, ultimately hand it off to succession to my kids um, possibly maybe sell it one day I don't know it depends on what my family wants with it right mm-hmm. uh, if my kids decide this my, my whole family works for me right my whole family like literally my whole family works for us and so we got her family working in there, my family working in there. So like it, it, it comes down to like what they want to do with it at some point. Um, but I mean, if, if the opportunity presents itself, we could sell it. I don't know. We maybe consider something like that. But um, but the goal right now, my vision for it right now is to continue to build the ecosystem up to where it's it's uh, it's be able to sustain itself in every category and then ultimately let somebody else take it over. I don't want to be a visionary or the CEO of Sharper Business Solutions. But there's going to be, I don't know if you can help yourself here. Yeah. We're at nine and counting. Yeah. I don't think it stops at nine. No. I, have, I already have five in the back of my mind right I just don't want to tell you because she's going to get a little freaked out when I start to tell you. And honestly, if I find an integrator, I'll start a business just because I found an integrator. And I, I've got that same. I don't have any problems with that. Like, I'll literally go start a business tomorrow if I find the right integrator. So I remember I had a, I can't remember what year this was. I remember I was driving home or on the freeway. You know, we're going home, and I, I was mentioning an idea to my wife, and she said, and I think it was October, like, I want you to look at me. Like, I'm driving right. I was like, I need you to promise me, and now in the rest of the year, you will not start another business. <laughs> <laughs> she said those. She said those exact words to me. That's nice. really funny. Um, Long term, though, I think there's a bigger play here. There's the Empire program that we're bringing in with Eddie, and uh, and and us partnering on that with Brandon, and I see us in the next year. So short term to long term vision that we're going to train trainers. Yeah. So we have a phenomenal opportunity right now uh, to launch this curriculum and start teaching other people how to help other people, mm-hmm. right? And that's ultimately my goal is I, I feel limited 
about how many people we can help. There's only so many only days so in the calendar. Time. Right. <laughs> so we have seven implementers today, our, our trainers right now, coaches. And my goal, we're in the process of looking at buying a 72,000-square-foot uh, church that's actually in Mokina, Illinois, has 42 acres of undeveloped land. We're going to develop about 243 townhomes on it. And then with a developer and then refinance out, use the money, it'll pay the building off. We'll own that building free and clear. And it has two big auditoriums. One's a 2,000 square foot auditorium. That one's about a 500 square foot auditorium. And the 500 square foot auditorium, we're going to train the trainer. We're yeah. going to have a weekly session in there on training coaches. The other, we're going to hold events and stuff at, not just for Sharper, but we're going to rent it out for that. Co-op space. It's going to have a gym. It's got a coffee shop. It's got a GNC. Daycare. Uh, daycare. We're going to bring Eddie Wilson's Because Coffee in there. We have a daycare for the co-op people that want to rent out the space. And so we're in the, we're, we're probably about, you know, 75% of the way through that right now. And, uh, and that's where you're going to see me and Susan start to live in the next 12 months. I don't see us ever slowing down or stopping, just yeah. shifting how and what we do. Yeah. So. Uh, ZS wants to know, how can he or she learn more from you guys if they're in a startup phase? Well, I mean, startup phase is a very short-lived phase. It's usually six months or less. And mm-hmm. so learning from us would be a very, uh, very typical type uh, session. I would say that the best people that are in startup should, uh, one of the best resources for that would be come to our workshop. Our workshop is every quarter, um, and it's uh, next one, like I said, is in Salt Lake. Um, the fee is 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 about fifteen hundred dollars to be in the room, uh, but you get three days, and it's not just for me. It's Susan, Brandon, Austin, and Eddie, and and Brian Snyder and Stephanie Betters, and you know we have all these people in different rooms teaching, and mm-hmm. so no better way to learn how to build a business than from people that have done it really successfully. They're, they're actually really doing. It. Yeah. Um, Casey uh, Smith wants to know what's the best advice you. You give to a new entrepreneur who's just starting out building their systems and processes. I love Casey. Um, <laughs> so love you, Casey. So great question. Uh, best advice is you have to make sure that before you start hiring people, that you start to document the process and the procedure. The process is not the procedure, by the way. So many people intertwine them and they're not. The process is what you do, the steps and what you do. Procedure is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so far, so often we bring in people and even the right people and we put them in the wrong seat or we bring the right people and put them in the right seat and don't give them a process to follow and they fail. I don't know how many times I've gotten a call, Stephen, somebody's like, I hired the right people. I thought core values. I put them in the right seat. I thought PI and they didn't work out at all. Mm-hmm. I go, well, what process did you put them into? Let's look at the process. I go, well, I haven't documented the process yet. Okay, well, how did you expect them to be consistent and succeed if they didn't have a process for them to follow? At least, very minimum, the process and the procedure of how to do it. Mm-hmm. But I just thought they'd figure it out. Okay, well, the problem isn't the people. The problem is you as a leader, yeah. right? I don't know how many times I looked at somebody and said, you don't have bad people. You just have bad leaders, and you're one of the leaders. So, yeah. you know, remember, everything rises and falls on leadership. The other thing, too, is I would say this. Before you start hiring people, investing people, building out your process, building your business, you better check yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve, I can get people to pay us fifteen thousand dollars coming with them one on one for a business, and I tell them that they're the problem. Crickets. I can't even get them to pay a hundred bucks to come to learn how to be a better leader. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants to hear how to work on themselves, or the answer is them working on themselves. But we have a lot of businesses I've seen out there that would have a lot more success if the leader learned that they need to be a better leader. Yeah, and it's tough because. Um I mean, I've seen this over and over again, that if you're not a great leader, you can have great people, right? And those people will just leave you. 
well. Yeah, or right. you diminish them and their greatness of what they can become. Yeah, so like it's, there's no point in having good people or yeah. a lousy leader. Yeah. yeah, one of the best books right now that I'm in, one of my favorite books right now is called Multipliers. Mm-hmm. And that book talks about diminishing others and not being a good leader and not empowering people and multiplying yourself through others. And uh, ultimately what it says is don't be a genius, be a genius maker. Yeah. And so we don't learn that art. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't go to school and don't go to corporate America and get the training that, you know, that I had the luxury of getting. So they don't learn how to be a good leader. And uh, sometimes we get entrepreneurs that learn how to be a good leader and not a good manager. And they're two different things. <laughs> Managers love process. Leaders love people. Yeah. Right. And so we need management and leadership together in order to grow a business. So hopefully I answered Casey's question. It's a great question, by the way. Yeah. And I, I, I focus a lot on leadership, man, managing people. That will always <laughs> suck. <laughs> uh, AB is who was your original mentor or someone you learned from uh, for real estate investing? So Wayne, that was it. Wayne was my guy. I mean, he, he taught me everything I know and still tell today. I mean, I was calling him the other day, learning some stuff from him. No, he, but cryptocurrency is what he's into now. So that's kind of, I'm actually starting to pick that up from him as well. You know, it's interesting. So we're going to Hawaii next month and, um, this company, they, um, you know, they have a certain fee, but if you pay in Bitcoin, it's half off. What? So I was like, okay, let's do that. Cause yeah. I have, a, I dabble a little bit. So yeah. like if I can save a few hundred bucks, <laughs> yeah. let's do that. It's been a tough week for people investing in crypto though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm in it for a long play. I'm sure. I actually bought when it went down. So I was like, cause That's there's so many smart. times where, man, I wish I bought it. I wish I bought it. And now like it crashed again. It's like, okay, yeah. now, I'll, now I'll just buy, buy it. it. <laughs> yeah. Which will make it go back up. So good yeah. Well now, yeah. Now we got to wait for the other part. <laughs> um, Warner wants to know what's your biggest struggle right now. Biggest struggle right now. Um, wanting to do more, you know, being literally not having enough people around me that I want to run farther and faster. And I, I, I just need more leaders. I need more people that want to run as hard as me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think uh, there's a limit to where we could go. I think there's a limit to desire of people that want to go there. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the biggest thing I see right now is there's not enough people that want to desire it enough to get there. Yeah. And uh, and and I don't know. I mean, it's not a bragging moment or anything, but Susan will tell you, I don't think there's too many people that want to work as hard as I do mm-hmm. to get there. Right? Well, that's one of your core values, right? Yeah. 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 Hard work. Everybody's like, really? You want to work hard, not smart? Like, I got to be honest with you. I like working hard. Like, I don't have a problem with it. You know, there was um, one of someone I looked up to a lot when I was a kid, you know, uh, like I, I was like six, seven, eight years old. And there's a guy uh, that my parents, you know, looked up to. And, he, you know, we went out to get dim sum. And I remember I said to him as a kid, I was like, oh, I don't want to work hard. I just want to work smart. And he sat down and he's like, and he looked like he got down like on his knee and he looked at me in the eye. He's like, no, like you want to work hard and work smart. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually built up the, the largest uh, hard money lender in town. Oh, wow. Right. So, I mean, he did some big things along yeah. the way. Uh, that was someone that I got to look up to when I was a kid. You know, see, I have a m- mindset of working hard and then leaning and getting more productive, mm-hmm. be able to work more harder again. Yeah. But see, I don't want to do it at the expense of my wife, my family, or anything. So I, I bring them all in, right? Like my son right now, he left. He's 20 years old. He left and went to Indianapolis yesterday and worked with a client. And then today he's in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Tonight he flies to Philadelphia tomorrow. And then he's in St. Louis on Friday. He's 20. Yeah. He wants to work as hard as I do, right? My daughter is already out in the lobby. She's, you know, she's a hard worker. My son-in-law is a hard worker. My wife matches and rivals me in hard work. But we like it. I mean, Susan's core value is definitely hard work. Yeah. So that and the other reason is I don't want to lose her because if I ever get lazy, I think she'd get rid of me. So <laughs> probably be the other reason. What is your biggest struggle right now? 
Besides Gary. Slowing down. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Keeping up with him. Yeah, that's probably a biggest struggle for me. Because, you know, Monday was a holiday, and he's like, so? I'm like, so I need the day off. (laughs) I did. I did get the day off. But um, biggest struggle. Yeah, I think I think for Gary it is uh, some patience. Mm-hmm. You know, we know things are coming, things are happening. I am definitely more patient than Gary, so it's like, hey, I'm going to put things in place so that when we are able to, you know, the gun goes off and we can charge the, you know, the race, we're ready to go and, and we're not going to trip and fall on the stones in the middle of the path. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, just maybe a little patience on letting us figure things out and put things yeah. down perfectly for him and. So our struggle better. is me moving her quicker I can see that. and her slowing me down. That's, yeah, our, struggle. that's our struggle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes total sense. And I think a lot of great partnerships are actually built that way. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, Gino Paloma wants to know, what do you think about a specialist being a TC? So I guess a specialist and the predictive index profile. Totally a loaded question. Specialist A could be low or high, right? Mm-hmm. So the higher it is, the better. They're going to help you overcome problems. And it really all depends on your process, how you're, what you're doing in TC. I mean, TC, I think Gino's really good at processes. Is he? Okay. Yeah, I'm really surprised some of his processes. So, and w- so again, every she's done over almost 10,000 real estate processes, so she can probably speak to this more. But a TC process can change from company to company depending mm-hmm. on a couple of things. We talk about the SIPOC of a business, supply, input, process, output, customer, right? Supply is a house. The input of that is how we bring it in, lead, uh, acquisitions. Process is what we're doing with it once we get it. The output is dispositions, customers, your buyer, consumer. And so looking at that process in full and what you're doing with it, whether it's fix and flip, buy and hold, you know, um, turnkey, wholesale, hotel, like whatever it is, your TC process, because it's a metal of it, changes. changes. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how it changes, the profile changes. Yeah. So rule of thumb, if I'm going to answer that question, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a somewhat higher A, someone that can oversee problems and over, overcome them without needing a, a lot of guidance. Uh, I typically don't want a really high B in that situation. B is somewhat indifferent for me, but somewhere around middle or maybe left of center line. I do like to see lower. I like somebody that's going to push hard. They're going to they're going to push to get it close, mm-hmm. right? There's have a sense of urgency there. And then I want the D to hook back. I want to do it right. I want to come across the line, come back across. So a specialist, that's more of a strategist profile. I would say that sounds like a strategist. Yeah, it's more of a strategist. Uh, But that's more or less what I'm looking for. Also, a scholar would be a profile I'm looking for. If I'm painting a corner like and try to figure out like everybody's process, what would be best for everybody, that would be it. Now, depending on how it changes, it changes, right? Casey Deals, a maverick. She's a great at TC. So, again, but she's leading a big, growing TC company. Right, a visionary. Uh, let's see what else is there. Casey Smith, Casey Daly Smith, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, biggest we already talked about that biggest challenge. So, um, obviously you've led a lot of big investors, right? You've done the the, the two day, three day sessions. What is someone who is doing business right now? They're doing two, three, four deals a month. Um, you know, if someone wanted to. Uh, learn, but without going through two, th- two or three day intensive. What is one or two things you want to share with them? So, thank you for asking that. To prepare. Well, I mean, I think read. Right, there's a lot of books out there you can read in order to prepare. Uh, you know, Gino Wickman's got had a book, a book traction. Mm-hmm. We implemented that for years and uh, and helped a lot of entrepreneurs with it. 
Um, there's Scaling Up, Make Big Happen. There's The Advantage by Patrick Colenzioni, which is one of my favorite books. Um, my book, Is Your Business Sick, is a book that talks to some degree about having a healthy business, not just a smart business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if I was an entrepreneur out there today and I was looking at, like, what could I do? I don't have the initial money to bring you in, things like that. Then you got to look at the different categories. And number one is document your vision, right? Bible says there was no vision that people perish, right? And so does a business. A business will not make it without vision. And we have to have both. We have to have long-term vision. We have to have short-term vision. Long-term vision to give hope, give us purpose, to drive us, get us going every day. That short-term vision is about driving results, okay? Next thing is I would tell you, know your numbers. <laughs> I had a call this morning with a guy. I said, do you know your numbers? And he was trying to give me his numbers. And I said, listen, I don't know you yet. You're going to hate me because I'm going to be really – and I'm, guys, listen, I am brutally honest. Yes, you are. Um, and so, <laughs> so I looked at him. I said, well, do you know your numbers? And, well, I think it's this and this. I said, let me ask you a question. You like sports? And he says, yeah. I said, um, who's your, what's your favorite sport? So football, or he said baseball. And then I said, who's your favorite player? He told me the player's name. And I said, how much is he batting? Like, what's his batting average? And he told me. I said, do you know his slugging percentage? And he was like, well, I think it's this. And then he started getting a little unclear with some of the numbers after that, right? So I said, do you think he knows his numbers? He's like, yeah, I'm sure he does. You think he knows his on-base percentage? Yeah. Do you think he knows his air, his fielding percentage? Yeah. Do you think he knows his slugging percentage? Yeah. I said, do you think people become great and not know their numbers? Mm-hmm. Like, listen, you guys are never going to get dialed in without knowing your metrics. And there are two metrics that I want to know. Everybody talks about that scorecard and that weekly metrics. And, and, and honestly, man, people try to track way too much. Mm-hmm. A scorecard is lag results. It's called a key performance indicator. Okay, Let's take away all these fancy terms that everybody puts in the books. It's a key performance indicator. There's not very many of them, by the way. There is how many leads did you get? How many qualified leads did you get? How many contracts did you get? How many disposition contracts did you get? And how many closings? That's about it. Those are like mm-hmm. the key process indicators, and we measure the key performance indicators on a weekly basis. The key process indicators are the daily numbers. They tell us whether or not the process is working. How many offers did you make? How many appointments did you go on? I don't want to know that weekly. I want to know that daily. Yeah. Right? So if I'm telling somebody who's getting going and, and starting this business up, Know your numbers and know them daily. It's not a weekly thing. It's a daily thing. Because if your process breaks, I don't want to fix it. Steve, what is the level of motivation a seller has to have in order to sell a house? How many levels do we look for? How many? It's three, uh, right? I was going to say at least two or three. Yeah, two or three. So when we look and we list stack right now, right, we're looking for two or three levels of motivation, right? Mm-hmm. That's important to know. Why? Because motivation creates change. And they're going to want to change their situation. Yeah. Same thing with m- numbers. If you track your process numbers weekly, it'll be three weeks of pain before you ever create change. Mm-hmm. You won't look at them until every week, so you won't feel the pain of three levels till week three. But if you look at your process measurements every day, it's Wednesday, and we're going to create change. Yeah. Because every day you brought to my attention, we haven't ha- had enough appointments. Mm-hmm. We haven't made enough offers. But if I don't look at that, but every week, I'm not going to feel the pain of it till three week three. Yeah. And processes, we have to change all the time. To stay up. I always tell people that somebody misses their number first time, day one, it's an anomaly. Could be. Day two could be an exception. Day three now is a trend. Mm-hmm. So you either have to change the behavior or change the metric. Yeah. Right? So maybe put the wrong metric down. But either way, we're changing this process or behavior or we're changing the, the metric by day three. 
Yeah. So I want them tracking their numbers daily, process indicators. How many, how many, what, you know, how much money they spent on marketing? What were the marketing channels? How the, how many leads came in? That kind of stuff. At the end of the week, though, I want to know how many leads we got, how many qualified leads we got, how many contracts we got, how many sell contracts we had, how many closings we had. But in between that, every day, I want to know what my process indicators are. Okay. And the only way you're going to get process indicators is the process map. How many times have you seen somebody, even in the real estate disruptors group, where someone says, hey, can you give me your KPIs? What do you track? Mm -hmm. And it drives me insane because here's the problem. Nobody's processes are the same. And if you're tracking somebody else's process indicators, they're not going to tell you if yours is broke. Right. So documenting your process, anytime we have one of those little square, those little what diamond, diamond shapes, that's a key process indicator. Because that means the process is going one way or the other. Mm. Every time we're making a decision in a process, we have to track that daily. Right. And then assign somebody one of those numbers every single day and ask them about it. Every day, I want to know how many offers you make. I want to know how many closings we have with issues. I want to know how many people we showed a house to. Like, I want to know those numbers every single day. Yeah. Because as an integrator of a company, if I'm sitting in that seat, then I'm going to come talk to you if we don't hit our numbers. Right. Because if you, you know real estate as well as anybody, if you hit your daily numbers, you're going to hit your weekly numbers. Everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. So that's number two. Number three is you got to communicate, build a communication tool. When we go from one employee to four employees, we grow in 500% complexity, 500% communication complexity. Have a system like Asana or something that helps you have a, a category of communication. Centralized. Right. I think we got a vision. We got to have process. We got to have communication. And we got to have the right people. Right. One of the exercises we did here was that core values exercise, mm -hmm. making sure <laughs> we know who we are first so that we align with the right people and then create the right culture. Culture comes from core values. It comes from purpose, and it comes from your BHAG goal, your five to thirty year goal. Those three triangle things, those three to thrive, is what drives culture. Yeah. So if you don't know it, you're going to struggle building a right culture. And then the opposite side of that is put them in the right seat. <laughs> like, like seriously, you know, why would you put somebody in a seat they're going to fail in? It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for them. So yeah. know what that seat looks like. Make sure they have the experience. They have the desire. They have the emotional capacity. You know how many people we put in leadership seats that had experience before doing that job? They had the desire to do acquisitions, and then we make them acquisitions manager or leader, and they don't have no, they don't have the emotional capacity to lead people. Right. That what we call emotional intelligence. Well, it's a whole different skill. It mm -hmm. is a whole different right. skill, right? And so, right people, right seats, communicating properly, and then last is making sure you're solving your issues. Right, making mm -hmm. sure that you're identifying those issues on a daily, weekly basis, and working the plan to overcome them. Yeah. You know, if you just start with that as a new business and you're starting to scale, go through that that perseverance stage. Those are the things I would tell every single person on your podcast to work on. But there's nothing more important. Everybody would think I'd say people or vision. There's nothing more important than numbers. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I, I love that you brought up the sports analogy. Yeah, because. We're also obsessed with, you know, someone's field goal percentage, how many threes they made, or, you know, how many touchdowns they scored. But we don't know our own metrics. And uh, something that I've heard before is that if you're not obsessed with your numbers, then you're never going to achieve anything great. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so what book have you gifted more than any other? Go Giver. Go Giver. Five Love Languages. I love it. <laughs> awesome. I want you guys to think about something you want to leave the listeners with while I make just a couple of quick announcements. Guys, we're nine days away from our next all-day sales training. Uh, we do it here locally in our office, in our classroom where you can see our operation. Uh, we also offer a remote uh, option as well on, on, uh, on Zoom. If you guys are interested, send me a DM. 
Uh, and next week, we got Logan Fulmer. He's going to be coming in and talking about how to fix dirty deeds for big spreads. So, uh, last thoughts. My last thoughts is like, take, take life uh, with purpose, right? Go at it with a purpose. Don't wake up every day and take everything for granted. I can tell you this. <laughs> we read a book called Broken Windows, Broken Business, and Susan and I read between three and five books a week. We get a chance to wow. we, we travel. So you're on a plane, you can turn on Audible, you can get through a whole book. I listened to a whole book last night coming here for three and a half hours. So all that to say is this. The Broken Windows, Broken Theory business, uh, or book theory talks about the little things. Focus on those little things. Mm-hmm. Keep those little things important. But the number one thing I see that people fail at in business that creates a compound effect of problems in their company, the number one thing is gratitude. You want to know why I see more businesses fail than any other reason? It's gratitude. They stop being grateful. They stop being grateful for what the success they've been given. They start coming entitled. They're, they're not grateful for their spouse who sacrifices for them. They're not grateful for their kids that sacrifice for them. They're not grateful for the people that invested in them. They're not grateful for the employees that go above and beyond. They're not grateful for the, the Lord that gave them the success and the ability to do what they do. They stop being grateful. And what happens when we stop being grateful is we start ingratitude shows up. And when we get ingrateful or ingratitude shows up, bitterness comes in. Bitterness creates silos, creates communication problems, and then the compound effect happens from there. And everybody mm-hmm. writes books about communication and silos and stuff. But the real first broken window that you need to protect every day in your business, in your mind, is be grateful. Wake up every day being grateful for what you were given the day before. And plan like you're succeeding, but never, ever, ever give up on gratitude. I mean, that's, that's my thought. I mean, I could give you guys a lot of different wisdom on a lot of different things, but I'm telling you, if there's one thing I'll never stop is being grateful for what I was given yesterday. That's incredible. And actually I just started doing a gratitude journal every single morning on Instagram. So nice. I'm glad you said that. Um, I would just challenge your listener, listeners to, to treat it like a business. Mm-hmm. Stop acting like this is a hobby. Businesses we show up every day for, we are consistent in what we do. We, like he said, make an importance about the numbers and the metrics and, and how we lead people. And, you know, it's just, again, hobbies are, you know, we'll do it when we feel like doing it. Or, you know, I finished one great project, so now I don't have to do work right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's a business we want it to grow, we've got to be consistent. And if, and if we're not, then it's not going to become something that we can leave in succession at some point. So. Right. Treat it like a business. Yeah, and that's like one of the my biggest pet peeves when people say side hustle. Yeah. Kills me with side hustles. Uh, so if someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Me? My email is sharper at sharperprocess.com. Um, Simple our, enough. Yeah, our website is sharperprocess. Yep, sharperprocess.com. That's yeah. probably the best way. They can find us on Instagram. Uh, they can find us on Facebook. It's probably one of our biggest platforms. Um, Sharper Process or Sharper Business Solutions. Sharper Process is our website. And uh, if they are thinking about, if you're a startup you're, or an entrepreneur wanting to get started, you can check out sharperevent.com. And that's where we'll have our next event. But um, that's probably the best way. Sharper, Sharper Process or G Harper at Sharper Process. That's our two emails. Awesome. All right. Thank that's you. Funny. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching. Awesome.